Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the latest edition of the Three Point Jesus podcast. Uh, I'm Sam, here with my co-host, Jay. Uh, We're a little bit delayed this week. Uh, Notre Dame has a little bit of a break in the schedule, and so we're taking taking a little bit more time to let it digest. And also, Jay, you had had some obligations last weekend that that I think... uh, you know, your voice needed a few days from to recover from that lion from that Lions game, if I'm correct. That is correct. Yeah, my my Lions uh, won their first playoff game since 1991 season, and the playoff game was in '92, so I was three years old. Um, what a game! It was lots of fun, and uh, I was hoarse for about 72 hours. Um, haven't been that hoarse since after the Clemson Notre Dame game uh, last year at home. So. Uh, we had a blast, and uh, apologies for the resultant delay due to my vocal cords needing a respite. Uh, it's all right. It's, I don't think anyone would have wanted to hear uh, hear you rasping through talking about the BC <laughs> talking about the BC game immediately after the fact, anyways. So, um, <laughs> you know, in the uh, in the time since our last pod, Notre Dame's played three games: uh, an overtime seventy five sixty eight win at Georgia Tech, uh, and then a pair and then a pair of losses at home. Uh, 67-58 to Florida State, followed by, uh, you know, they have the, the Saturday-Monday turnaround, uh, and then Monday, the 63-59 loss at BC. Um, you know, so N- Notre Dame now sits at, at 7-11 and overall, 2-5 and in ACC play so far. Um, you know, I think we'll, we'll dive into the game-by-game, game, sort of going in chronological order, but I think um, just sort of general takeaway from the last week is, like, the encouraging to me, the encouraging signs of sort of what we've seen so far in ACC play are still there. The defense um, still looks solid, but there's still that sort of frustration of man, it really is just one or two plays here or there, um, you know, or or you know, not let not getting into the offensive funk that we saw. Um, and this team could be, you know, could could have a winning record. Could even be, you know, could even have. Uh, you know, five ACC wins at this point, which is something, which is crazy. But, um, you know, instead we're talking about one uh, close win and, and a couple of close losses. Yeah, we're, we're quite literally a couple calls, a couple bounces, a couple made free throws, turnovers away from sitting at five and two instead of two and five. Um, and, you know, that would put us in basically the, the upper third of the ACC. Um, obviously very encouraging based on, you know, where we thought the season could head, could head. Um, you know, after getting blown up by Marquette, stumbling to Georgetown and, and getting absolutely demolished by Citadel. Um, so, you know, Sam and I have, have spoken obviously throughout the last week and, um, we're just happy to be able to be frustrated rather than (laughs) create, um, create podcasts around where we hope we might go. It, It seems like the vision and the path forward are, are pretty clear and, and Shrews, um, is, I think getting a lot out of his current personnel. Yeah, definitely. I think I think big picture this this season is just a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. I think I, I sort of anticipated this was going to be a true, you know, I think it gets referred to in football more as like a true year zero, where given the state of the roster, new coach coming in, it was going to have to be just a total, you know, clean everyone out, uh, rip it down to the studs. And then you know next year is really when you can sort of start the the foundation building. But I think the foundation building has already started. I, I think um, you're sort of starting to see the shape of what this team could look like as a potential um, you know potential NCAA tournament team, potential ACC contender. You, you can sort of squint and see what the vision is, which um, is encouraging and, and not really where I thought 
where I thought we'd be at this point. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's hard in the moment when I'm yelling at my TV that, uh, you know, it shouldn't matter that it was, it was out of bounds off of, off of Marcus Burton. There was a foul on BC, uh, towards the end of that game. Um, but you know, big picture, uh, just really, really encouraged by, by where things stand, uh, overall. I mean, it's still a long way to go, you know, still a long way to go to, to sort of make sure that that stays uh, consistent and, and we can keep building on it. But, um, you know, so far, so good. Yeah, we, there's there's obviously quite a few things that we'll kind of touch on as we go through, but there's a lot of really promising um, metrics um, and, and things that are now clear patterns and not um, just, oh, hey, maybe we're decent at rebounding. Like, we're a good rebounding team now. Right. Um, there, there's things that are now, you know, pretty concrete. Um and it, it feels like y- your your perspective on some of these upcoming games has changed in a positive direction of instead of ooh can we can we steal two or three ACC games to where it's yeah you know, we should we should win a handful of more games um, be it home or on the road they've shown good fight um, you know recently even if the results aren't there to back it up so, yeah uh, you want to jump in yeah definitely three? yeah we can start you know we'll start with um, the Georgia Tech game down in Atlanta uh, Notre Dame comes away with a seventy five sixty eight win. Um, you know, this one was really pretty close throughout. There was no, you know, I think in other, other games we've seen sort of big swings in momentum. This one, um, you know, the nine ties, 11 lead changes over the course, each team led for about the same amount of time, um, you know, ended up, I, I thought Notre Dame, you know, just to, to jump to the end, um, was really a little unlucky to have to play overtime here. I thought, you know, they, they get the ball, or Georgia Tech gets the ball down three with about 16 seconds left after Braden Shrewsbury had, had made a pair of free throws. Um, and I thought Notre Dame defended that play the way you would want to. Like, they were clearly, I mean, and I guess we'll, we'll get to another version of this when we talk about the BC game, but clearly Miles Kelly was the guy. Um, you know, he was 7 of 15 from three uh, on the night. So he was the guy you wanted to deny the ball, and they did that. Um, it ends up going to Baydongo, um, who I think had you know only a handful of, of three-point field goal attempts in his career um, up to that point. He hits it from the top of the key. Um, they, they end up having to play overtime. Notre Dame, you know, wins wins comfortably in overtime. Outscores Georgia Tech nine to two to to get the win. So um, you know. 25 points for Braden Shrewsbury, five and nine from three for him. I think that was sort of the, the biggest story of the game that he was able to really get it going. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I think this was, this was one where I think Notre Dame would have been really unlucky to lose. I, I thought Notre Dame were clearly the better team and, um, you know, really a, a deserved win. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> amazing. Best free throw shooting game of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, they, they come out with a dub. <laughs> um, um, turnover is still an issue in this game. Irish with 16 turns. Um, clearly been a pattern. We talked about it quite a bit last pod. Um, you know, just a young team, not a team that knows how to win. And without Burton on the floor, doesn't really have, um, you know, excellent ball handling skills quite yet. Um, but um, yeah, r- really, really just solid all around. Tay Davis with another solid game, 10 points, 10 rebounds, and obviously him missing, you know, the next game was a, a big downer. Um, and as we'll talk about, Florida State's just not a great game to be missing him, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, you know, we finally got uh, another Shrewsbury uh, breakout game. Feels like um, and he's really improved. Uh, we were ragging on him beginning of the year with both shot selection and just, 
man, like it's come on, Braden, it's it's got to be one of these games, right? And we've we finally had you know he played well against Duke um, and, and played well again here against Georgia Tech. So um, it's nice to see him kind of hit his stride. Um, him shooting well from the outside opens up the offense so much mm-hmm. in an offense that really just relies on Burton. Um, if if there's no one hitting the shot from the outside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, him, like you said, him being able to hit both shots just not only obviously gets the points, but it just changes what Notre Dame can do offensively. Um, he's up to 33% from three for the season, which I think you'd like to see that tick up a little bit higher um, for the the three-point specialist uh, that, that you really want him yeah. to be. He gave himself a nice big hole to dig out of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but yeah, no, given where he was early in the year, it, that's, that's encouraging to see. And, and I think with him and... and I think you saw it more in the next two games, um, but a little bit against Georgia Tech. He's just getting smarter with the ball. And I think um, when he's hitting from three, uh, it, like, you know, one, it changes the way teams defend him. Obviously, there are a lot, you know, the, the closeouts are a lot harder. Uh, the, the, there's a lot more attention paid to him on the perimeter, um, which makes him, and I think he's also just more confident. So uh, he'll pull it down and drive and, and, you know, shoot that little pull up from the free throw line. Um, or kind of try and collapse the defense and, and then kick it out to someone else. Um, so I think it just sort of, there's really just so many knock-on effects from him being able to reliably hit um, hit, hit those three-pointers, um, you know, that like, like he was hitting against Georgia Tech uh, in that game. So, um, you know, overall encouraging to see. And, and he also had some clutch free throws late, too, that, you know, gave Notre Dame the three-point lead at the end of regulation yep. that ultimately didn't hold, but, um, but still, uh, you know, that's, that's good to see as well. Yeah. Um, pulling up the stats, didn't feel this lopsided live, but, um, Notre Dame 16 turnovers resulted in 26 Georgia tech points. Mm -hmm. That's a ton. Um, so, you know, it, it feels like, you know, this is a team that's not talented enough to overcome both poor free throw shooting and turnovers. Um, so, that's something that I'm going to be, you know, kind of curious to follow throughout the season. You know, if they get one of those things that they play well in regards to um, whether that, you know, changes the outcome of the game. Um, it's just nice to feel like they, they actually have some control and say in the final outcome, honestly. Yeah. You know, I mean, like we can actually point to things like, oh, if they improve this, they can win these games. Um, and certainly as a team that's, you know, only had, you know, a handful of games playing together, you know, coming up on 20 or so. Um, it's they're still meshing right um that's you know new coach basically every player is new um so it's it's encouraging to be able to have things to point to that could change the outcome of a game definitely definitely and i I think i think we saw defensively against georgia tech you know more more of the same um sort of solid defense that that we'd seen up to this point you know obviously miles kelly going off for 25 is more than you would want um but i thought they actually did a pretty good job of keying on him late. Obviously the final possession we sort of talked about earlier was the big one. Um, but just in general, you know, for a young team, like I, I think that's something that, that you can easily get in your head of, of, you know, this guy just keeps getting open and he keeps hitting shots. But, um, you know, I, I thought they did eventually um, really sort of lock him down and, and make it tough for him to find his shot. Yeah. Um you know, we can get into it after uh, maybe we talk about all three games, but the defensive metrics are just really solid, um, and it's it's certainly encouraging. Yeah, Kelly, um, you know, they were able to lock him down when it mattered most, and, um, you know, he took 15 threes, so 
Right. Um, he, he made seven of them, yes, granted, but, um, you know, when you hoist that many and you're a good player, um, you know, that means a lot of their offensive possessions wound up in a three-point jumper. So, um, you know, that's that's not necessarily all bad. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think my last sort of takeaway from Georgia Tech is, is really just um, how impressive it was to see this team do that on the road. Um, we talked on the last pod, Georgia Tech is one of those places that, um, weirdly, Notre Dame has struggled to play in, uh, e- even when there was a huge gap in sort of overall team quality and talent disparity. That, that was just always sort of a house of horrors for, for Mike Bray teams in the ACC. Um, and so to get a win down there, obviously, you know, maybe it was a Mike Bray-specific thing, and now that he's down in Atlanta, he's, uh, he's given him the good juju at, at McCamish Pavilion. But um, just in general, like having sort of the strong performances at home um, that we saw – sort of post-UVA, post-New Year's, um, seeing that translate to a road game in the ACC I think is huge. Um, Because that, you know, really the the formula for for any sort of college basketball team is always going to be win your home games and then um, try try and pick them off on the road where you can. Um, And for this team to be sort of mentally strong enough, resilient enough to to get the win on the road um, I think is huge. Yeah, first true road win, we'd be remiss. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, first true road win since February 12th, 2022. Let that sink in for a moment, everyone. That is more than a full calendar year and a half. That's that's incredible. Yeah. And what what I found amazing in in that game, you know, in that stat was um that I didn't <laughs> I think it's because that 2022 team was just like a really good basketball team. I, I didn't find myself like, oh yeah, I remember that game against Clemson. It was a 15 point win at Clemson. Um, right. You know, Blake Wesley scored 21 points. Dane Goodwin had 20. Um, you know, it, for that team, it was just sort of a run of the mill. Yeah, you should beat Clemson by 15 on the road, of course. Um, and so, uh, so it's funny that now a road win is uh, viewed in a, a very different context than it was just two years ago. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so. All right, let's uh, spin to Florida State. Spinning forward to, to Florida State, um, a 67-58 loss at Purcell Pavilion. Um, I think this one, you know, the story is really going to be the free throws. So uh, 3 of 11 from the line. You know, free throws are, are sort of tough because they always, like, just my, my point of view is always that they're hard to – think about in the moment because they always feel so massive and like, come on, why can't you just make it? But when you look at them over sort of bigger sample, they're really just sort of an exercise in large sample sizes and that they will find it to love. They'll find their level over their, over a longer period of time. But yeah, a, a three of 11 game will cost you a game like it, like it did here. Yep. Um, <clears throat> back to my altar of turnovers and free throw shooting for a second. Um, <laughs> Turnovers, Notre Dame 14, Florida State only had eight. And Florida State was 13 of 15 from the line, and the Irish were 27%, 3 of 11, as Sam mentioned. So, again, you 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 lose both of those metrics, and you lose. Um, and this was a game that, um, you know, was looking good for a while, and then it kind of looked like it was over, but the boys did fight back pretty hard um, and to the point where we almost got some pretty pretty solid game game pressure situations. So, um, you got to applaud that. And, uh, you know, this is not a good matchup for the Irish at all mm-hmm. um, with the length and the athleticism of Florida State. Um, 
I was surprised to see that, um, you know, they only out-rebounded us by one when it seems like at every position on the floor, they're bigger and longer. Yeah, yeah. Especially, like you said, with, with Tay Davis missing this game, um, that made it tougher. Florida State led by as many as 14 in the second half. Notre Dame cut it to three with a minute 25 left on a, on a three-pointer from Braden Shrewsbury. Um, you know, but, but again, you know, and that's where you sort of think about, okay, you miss – you make a couple more free throws, maybe it's a tie game, maybe you get some game situations. I think, you know, when you look at the free throws specifically um, and sort of parse it down, uh, you know, Zona and, and Jai were a combined 0 for 6, they each went 0 for 3. And that's one of those where that, that to me makes it a little more sort of understandable um, why the numbers were so bad, um, you know. Keba on the on the season he's about a sixty seven percent shooter so far. Um, last year at Penn State he shot about sixty percent. So, you know if if you think he's a sixty percent shooter, there are going to be times or sixty five percent shooter. There are going to be times when he misses three in a row. Like that just like just based on yeah. numbers and stats, like that'll happen and it feels terrible in the moment. But um, you know it does it does happen. And then Zona just if he only has even counting the last couple of games, 25 free throw attempts in his four years of playing basketball. So that's just not a large sample <laughs> size to, to get a sense of like what kind of free throw shooter he is. So, um, you know, you, you hate, to, you hate to have him missing free throws, but like, I think it's a function of the guys that were going to the line at the time more so. And, and, and sort of like we've talked about before, I really think there is sort of a mental factor of it. If a guy is not confident in his free throw shooting ability and he sees his teammates missing him, that's just going to ramp up the pressure. Um, and, and so I think yeah. sort of all of those factors will combine to, um, you know, lead to lead to what we got against Florida State, um, as disappointing as it was. And you know, it feels like, <clears throat> and maybe it's just because you know we're so invested in the team and such, we just tend to miss a lot of front end of one and one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we that, had a handful across these three games, and um, man, it stinks. Yeah, that actually, I, I I'd be interested. I that's a sort of a good good homework assignment is like what. Sort of what is what are what were really our expected points lost against Florida State at the free throw line? If you count, you know, a missed front end of a one and one as two missed free throws or something like that, because right. then, then I think it would look a lot worse. Um, I think Jr. missed missed one or two in, in that situation as well. Um, this uh, sort of weirdly enough, even though it was probably the I think the game Notre Dame most deserved to lose of the three. Um, I was sort of I was most impressed by Marcus Burton in this game. I thought he was sort of most in control. Um, you know, ran the offense most effectively. Was smartest with his shot selection. He had twenty points on on eight of fourteen shooting, two of four from three, um, you know, two assists, and, and then the four turnovers. I mean, you know that that's that's what you want on a team that plays offense the way the way this year's team plays offense. I think. Moving forward, ideally, those assist numbers, not just for him, but for the team, are going to start to ramp up as we see sort of more of a, a true, like, offense, <laughs> like a, a real basketball offense. But um, for now, while the game plan is, like, Marcus, go play one-on-one and um, see what we can open up, I think this is the, this is the kind of game you want to see for him. Yeah, uh, Marcus was certainly the offensive threat near the end of the game. It just feels like you want like a, an option two and an option three to make the other team think about right. it. We're just, we don't have the talent to be there yet. Um, so, you know, it puts a lot of stress on a true freshman in his 17th college game to uh, put the team on his back playing a team as long and athletic as Florida State, who's near the top of the ACC. Um, and, and even still, he, he seemed pretty effective. So 
um, that's a promising, you know, um, I guess, sight line into what could come uh, as he matures. And, um, you know, he's he's not a player that's going to be a one and done. You know, he's going to play at Notre Dame for, you know, probably multiple years at least, um, which is kind of the needle you have to thread in, in the current environment of college basketball. <laughs> you can't get guys that are quite too good and then lose them right <laughs> away. So, um, a la Blake Wesley and co. So, um, yeah, I, I think his composure down the stretch was was pretty good. Um, you know, he did have four turnovers in the game, but, um, you know, it, this game was not lost, certainly because of Marcus Burton and his uh, end-of-game perils. You know, they lost this game in the – end of the first half, beginning of the second half. Our, our middle eight analogy to football uh, reigns true again here with Florida State. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's something we'll talk about, I think, when we get into the BC game, too, of, like, what what is going on at halftime with this team? Because it seems sort of more often than not, uh, when, when the second half starts, this team takes a while to find its gear. Um, the, the only other thing, the only other note that I sort of had from the Florida State game specifically um, was with... With Tay Davis out, Logan Imes played 26 minutes, which was his most since uh, the Western Carolina game way back in November. Um, and, and I was pretty impressed. Like I, I, I think I, you know, given that he played seven minutes, seven minutes against Duke, five minutes against Georgia Tech, I think I sort of thought it was he was trending towards more of like a, um, you know, end of the rotation uh-huh. slash yeah. like is he even in the rotation next year kind of guy. Um, I think it's still like a, a fair question of like once once Cole Serta and Sir Muhammad um, you know get get to get into the program like is Logan Imes going to play next year like we'll see um, but I was more encouraged by the floor, by what I saw in the Florida State game um, than than previously I guess yeah I mean at, at no point does does Imes feel like a liability out there right. You know? Um, he doesn't feel like a guy that's going to take it to the rack and jam on somebody. But, <laughs> but um, you know, he he's, he grabs a couple boards. He's um, he's he's pretty athletic. He's solid defensively. Um, so yeah, I mean, at, at worst, you know, you look at you look ahead. Um, you get a couple of hopefully impact freshmen, maybe some more transfers next year. Even if he's like your last guy off the bench, that's that's certainly a place that we are not accustomed to being with with Braze you know, short, short bench, uh, style of play. Um, so it's, it's certainly encouraging. I mean, man, rebounding by committee. It's, it seems like, you know, no one's grabbing 17, but everyone's throwing in three, four five, six boards. Yeah. Um, they, they really work hard. Um, if there's one thing that I think we can say definitively is Shrewsbury knows how to coach these guys up and make them play hard for him. Yeah. That's probably the most encouraging thing. And that, you know, is depicted in rebounds and defense. Yeah, and and I think in the Florida State game, how like I, I don't think anyone would have batted an eye. I, I know I would if you know it got to it got to fourteen points, and then everyone just sort of throws on cruise control, and Florida State wins by you know 12, 14, 16, 20, whatever. Um, I definitely thought that was the direction that game was headed midway through the second half. Um, so so for them to really flip things back on and, and keep pushing, even though that was a game where, you know, without Davis, it's a bad matchup. You know, this team is, this team I think was playing, has been playing above what people expected so far. Like, I don't think anyone would have, would have had a second thought if like, well, that's, that was, that was a bad one, but that's not what happened. You know, they, they got it back within three um, and couldn't get over the hump, but 
it, it almost, um, you know, and this is sort of a bigger picture thing, but it almost seems like there's that old sort of um, sort of thought process of like, okay, lose big, lose small, win small, win big. Like that's the process of, of building up a team. And it, it, if we got past lose big at the Citadel, if that was the end of the lose big process of the Micah Shrewsbury era, man, that's great. That's awesome. Like you, you, <laughs> you, you get through that in the first two months of your tenure and, and you're already at lose small. Um, then, uh, then that's a good place to be. Um, I don't know, anything else from Florida State before we uh, move on to the last of the three games in, in BC? Uh, no, I think we hit on uh, most of the, the big picture stuff. If not, um, I, I guess maybe one more thing. Um, you and I were texting during the game. Um, Leonard Hamilton. <laughs> um, and you made a great point that I just feel like we need to share with the people. It seems like every Florida State team over the last decade is just the same team with different players on it. Yeah. Just super athletic. They don't have anyone that's going to rain threes on you. They have two huge guys in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, very athletic, but not super skilled. And they play 10 or 12 guys. Yeah. It's, and, it's and, just the same team every year. Yeah. And, and you always... Uh... You're, you're always, you always see Leonard Hamilton on the sidelines and you go, wait a second, he's how old? Um, <laughs> he, he looks, if I look that good when I, I think he's 72 or something, like if I look that good when I'm his age, man, sign me up. Um, but yeah, and, and I think like, it, it honestly, it goes back to the, the 2011 um, tournament game against them. Like that, that to me is like, you know, obviously Florida State basketball, um, that's one of you know, one of my favorite Notre Dame teams of my lifetime. That was, that was my senior year of college that, that lost to Florida State in the second round there. Um, but it was sort of the same thing. It was just a terrible matchup against a really long, defensively active Florida State team. And uh, it was a terrible matchup for, for that team. And so that's that's who Florida State is. Some years are better than others. Some years they can put it together and, um, you know, challenge for, for an ACC title. Other years they can't. But they're always going to sort of have that identity. And that's, you know, when you're a, a basketball program at a football school, there are worse worse places to be. For sure. Um, All right, let's spin uh, spin to the Eagles. So BC, uh, you know, Notre Dame had that uh, we talked about a little bit the, the Saturday Monday turnaround, going from uh, beautiful South Bend to beautiful Chestnut Hill um, <laughs> on on Monday <laughs> night. Um, you know, th- this one I I felt more like this was one that. Notre Dame kind of let get away, um, and, and, and we could have had um, definitely more than the Florida State game. Notre Dame led by as many as 12 in the first half. Um, you know, BC sort of ultimately fought back in the second half, um, you know, sort of went back and forth for, for most of the second half, sort of the team's trading leads. Uh, and then Quinton Post uh, hit a three with 50 seconds left to put them up 60, to put BC up 60 to 57. Um, and that that really uh, sort of sealed the deal. He uh, he finished the game with uh, 17 points, only four rebounds, which I was a little surprised by. Um, yeah. he, he's, you know, again, Notre Dame, you know, again, rebounding. Notre Dame out-rebounded BC 44 to 28, um, which is an encouraging sign. But, but this was one where, you know, that last possession, sort of the inverse of the Georgia Tech game, where given, given what Post had done to that point, um, he was the one guy that you couldn't let beat you on that last possession. I guess it wasn't the last possession, but that, that key possession. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So, uh, you know, you, you look at, you look at the replay, it's hard to know um, without being in the huddle, like whether it was, is JR or Keba who was supposed to rotate over to him. Um, 
but someone missed an assignment and, and he was able to hit the three that uh, that put him ahead ultimately for good. So, um, you know, d- disappointing. Again, though, like a, ro- a road game, the fact that we're talking about a single play here or there that, that determines a road game, that's a better place to be than I thought we'd be, but but this felt like one Notre Dame could have had. Yep. Um, I think this was the most frustrating loss of the year. Mm. Um, more, than, and... more than the Citadel? <laughs> I'm going to challenge you on that guess... one. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Given... Uh... Given where we thought the team was headed at the time, how's that fair if I throw that yeah. qualifier in there? Um, yeah, and, and and again, a positive sign that we're frustrated about a road loss that feels like it slipped through our fingertips. Um, Quentin Post, um, you know, he, he kind of came alive at the end. I know at last pod we kind of projected forward like, hey, bigs that can score are going to give us problems. Um, and, and he did in the end, but um, not maybe not in the way that we sort of anticipated. Um, and then Zachary, God, the guy kills us every time. Yeah. Um, I feel like every time we play BC, he puts up 20 points. Um, I think the story of this game was um, the turnover battle. BC committed three turnovers. They played nearly perfect. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's not to say that Notre Dame was horrible with their turnovers in this game, but, um, you know, BC, again, 20-plus points off turnovers. Um, that, that, that definitely matters, especially when you're on the road. Um, and it wasn't a horrible shooting night for the Irish, but, um, you know, not their best either. They shoot 41% from the field. 60% from the free throw line, 40% from deep. A um, couple of guys uh, making some threes. Matt Zona, again, a three-point shout-out for Matt Zona. I have to call those out when I see him. Um, and it was nice to get Tay Davis back in this game. He um, you know, he didn't. He only played 13 minutes, but um, you know, we weren't really even expecting to be able to have him. Um, and uh, three, three guys in double-digit rebounds, and Jai with 10, Booth with 13, mm-hmm. a really solid rebounding game for him, um, and Roper throwing up a, a 10 spot in the rebound column. So um, this team plays hard defensively. I think they're number one or number two. I can't remember in ACC defensive uh, points given up uh, rating. And um, they rebound the heck out of the ball, um, even against, um, you know, a Florida State team like we talked about for last game. You know, they're they're going to be at worst feels like just about even with their opponent on any given night with rebounds. So that's a great place to be. Yeah, yeah. Per, uh, per Ken Palm, Notre Dame in conference play, um, second best defense, uh, in the ACC behind only North Carolina. So um, yeah. don't ask about offense. Let's not, don't worry about offense. What are we talking about offense? Um, Defense wins championships. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, no, I think, I think, um, I, I think yeah, one can thing. Can you imagine beginning of the year telling us we'd be the second best defensive team in the ACC though? It's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, crazy. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's really a testament to like, you know, I won't say the whole analogy, but like kind of making chicken salad, if you know what I'm talking about, for what Shrewsbury's been able to do with, with what, what we thought. And I think I think there have been some pleasant surprises from like a roster perspective of like guys who are um, a little bit you know, able able to contribute a little bit more than maybe we thought. Um, but I think uh, I think it's a testament to what Shrewsbury has done. But I, I think the BC game, you know, kind of laid bare to a large degree that you know one of the things that and it makes sense with a young team is, is on ball pressure just really can frustrate this team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think they, they, they weren't pressing as much in the first half, the second half, they, they turned it up a little bit and even just a little bit. Um, you know, I think it's a, co- it's a combination of being a young team and then also not having, especially with, with Davis only playing limited minutes, not having the ball handlers to sort of compliment Burton to, you know, bring it up the court, you know, sort of, find those exit valves off the pressure. I mean, I do think that to one thing that would help this team a little bit that 
it's clear that Shrewsbury doesn't really trust him enough to do is, is trying to get those fast break points um, when a team does pressure you, trying to turn that pressure into easy baskets because, you know, you, you only make it harder on yourself if you let a team press you, but then you get up into the front court and it's like, okay, now we're going to set up in the, like we made it. Now we're setting up in the half court with 15 seconds left on the shot clock. Like you, you need to be able to make teams pay for pressing. And this team is still at a stage where they can most of the time kind of fight, fight to a level and get into half court when, when teams are pressing. So, um, and, and really sort of playing that aggressive defense. So, um, I think yeah, that, when you have three or four ball handlers, that approach makes right, sense, right? Right. You know, um, and or a couple scorers, so that you know you have a couple guys you can rely on to create a shot. If you only got you know 15 seconds on the clock, like you said, we just don't have that right now. Right. And I think, I think this was a game also where Burton kind of got a little bit out of control, especially as the game went on and, and you know made some bad decisions, forced some shots. I think, um, again, Davis has sort of been the ball handler when when Burton's not on the court, and so. With him limited and, and no no one else really to kind of you know give him some plays off and, and take some pressure off him, um, he can end up trying to do a little too much and pressing too much. I think that sort of led to a lot of the offensive struggles late in this game when um, when BC really sort of turned up the pressure on him specifically, and uh, and he just kind of tried to fight through it as opposed to um, you know trying to figure out some other options offensively. Which to to to, to be fair. Notre Dame doesn't really have, so um, so I, I get it. I think it, you know, you could see it making sense, but I, I think that was that was an issue. Yeah, um, you know, it just feels like a game where, all right, you're on the road on a, a travel short week or short turnaround, I should say. Um, it's not disappointing that you lose that game in, in almost any circumstance, mm-hmm. but when you lead by twelve, somewhere near halftime. Um, and, and it just feels like, you know, you'd let it slip away. So if, if you had told me we lost by four at BC, okay. You know, that kind of makes sense. But the way it unraveled um, just felt a little uh, a little frustrating for sure. Um, but, um, you know, luckily after that short turnaround, we get a break and um, nine days off, I think. And, uh, you know, we got uh, a couple of revenge games coming up. Maybe we could steal one or both. I mean, it's certainly there for the taking, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. I was The last couple of things on BC, just, you know, obviously I think I referenced it earlier, but it's always frustrating in situations like um, like the Burton turnover late where you know, the ball does go out of bounds off of him. But when you watch the replay, there's just such a clear foul on, um, on Zachary going for the ball. And it's like, you know, you're, you're going to sort of punish Notre Dame twice. Like you're going to correct the call – and then also, like you know, it it shouldn't and it, ignore the foul and ignore it, it shouldn't it shouldn't it shouldn't be BC ball. It should be Notre Dame shooting free throws. And so, um, you know, if if replay is in place to like correct errors, I get not wanting to like subject every judgment call to interminable replays. But that's not if replay is in place to get the calls right. That's not what's happening there. Like that's not getting the call right. That's you know changing a technicality that that's um so that to me is is just you know you see it a lot it's always frustrating but um you know i'm sure there'll be cases where it works in notre dame's favor too so um i guess can't complain too much you're you're always looking at glass half empty when it comes to replay obviously yeah um you know you think back to that georgia tech game we wind up winning it but you know we lost out on a possession there too um yeah a ball off somebody's foot too so yeah that's right um I think I can't remember if that was an overtime or just end of regulation, but um, you know it was a it was a relatively crucial point in the game. They didn't review it, even though they could have. Um, 
And yeah, <laughs> it feels like Notre Dame got the short end of the stick. Uh, both of those um, pretty crucial calls, honestly, in Georgia Tech and BC games. Yep, yep. And then the last thing from the BC game, just after, you know, sort of post hits his three, um, team straight possessions, ends up Notre Dame with about uh, 11 seconds left. Um, you know, has an opportunity, uh, to, you know, gets the ball back, has an opportunity to, to tie or take the lead. They end up drawing up a, a, an out-of-bounds play for Kerry Booth from the corner. Um, and he got a great look. He got a great look. It rattles in and out. Um, I think sort of given the way that game had gone, given sort of all the factors at play, I think it was the right, I think it was the right call to try and drop a three to win the game right there. Um, but I could see an argument for trying to, trying to go for two and, uh, and, and just getting the tie. I don't know. Did, what, what did you think of that sort of end of game scenario from, from Trues? I mean, maybe back to your point about, um, you know, playing slow and not trusting the team in, in a fast break situation. Um, you, you sent a text. I just pulled it up right here. And you said, I love Micah immediately calling timeout there. Saying, Hell no, this team's not running an unscripted <laughs> offensive possession. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that was the right call in that moment. Um, and, and look, you, you can't argue with a good look from a guy who's been a pretty solid three point shooter all year. Who's probably not expected to take the shot by BC. You can't, you can't really fault the execution. Um, certainly obviously it would have been sweet if he had made it, but um, I think I would have done the same thing, honestly. Um, short turnaround, you just came off overtime against Georgia Tech, a tough game against Florida State. Um, yeah, I, I like going for the win there, personally. Um, obviously, it didn't work out this time. But, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to follow, you know, as the team still maybe continues to struggle offensively in gel, um, do we get a little bit of Micah, you know, letting off the reins a little bit on – on letting the boys run and play fast to maybe create some easy points as the season progresses. Um, you know, I remember Bray frequently letting that happen toward the end of games, not calling timeouts, even when he had timeouts remaining in, in game situations near the end of games. Yeah, definitely. That was a, that was sort of a, a classic Bray thing of trusting his guys, letting him play and definitely understand that, that this team is not there yet. Um, but that's also a good segue to sort of move forward. I think, you know, um, Right before we hopped on, we were sort of talking briefly about how you look back at this season and really the biggest jump that this team made, um, I think, was between the Marist and Virginia games uh, sort of over that Christmas break in late December. So that was, that was an eight-day layoff between games. They have a nine-day layoff um, right now, which which is just about the longest break you could have in a college basketball season. This is pretty unusual. I was going to say, I can't remember them having that long. Honestly, yeah, it's like seven. Yeah, because usually, I mean, usually it's like there will be either a weekend or a Monday to Thursday period that, that you don't play. But it's th this is basically going from the beginning of one to the end of another. So you know, if you think of this weekend as their bye, but they played Monday at the beginning of the last period and play Wednesday at the end of the next period. So it, it really is basically the longest that you can have. Um, and then they come back with uh, home games against Miami on Wednesday night and then Saturday at home against BC. Um, you know, I think that I, I'm interested to see what the team looks like after the nine-day layoff, especially if there was any sort of emphasis on offense over that time period or whether it was like, let's just hone our identity. This is who we're going to be this year. We're not going to win games in the 80s, but we're going to be even better defensively and, and really lock it down. And 
um, just just try and you know win some rock fights the rest of the way. So um, I can sort of see either way, but but either way, I, I'm bullish that we're going to see an improved team against Miami on, on Wednesday night, even versus what we've seen so far in conference play. Yeah, um, Miami goes to Syracuse tomorrow. Then they got to go home. And then they got to fly back up to South Bend. So you got to figure that may favor the Irish. They got back to back away games here with probably probably going back to Miami in the middle, um, and. That, that could play into our, our hands, given that we have this nice long break. Um, just looking back, obviously, we've both teams we play at home this week, we've played previously. Um, we scored 49 points down in Miami early. That in the seems year. like so long and, ago. <laughs> oh, God, it really does. Um, so, and, you know, a game we lost by 13, but we were in till you mm-hmm. know, the, the final couple of minutes, I remember. So, um, you know, it really feels like, to me, you should get one of these games. I think it's, it's fair to have the expectation that at an absolute bare minimum, these are both extremely competitive games down to the wire, and you really should probably win one, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Ken Palm has Miami as four-point favorites uh, and BC as, as two-point favorites. So I think it's fair to call both of these games toss-ups, maybe a little bit more BC than Miami, but um, I, I think it would be – disappointing not to get one of these just from a sense of like team morale like I, I think it's easy for us to sit here and, and sort of take the big picture and say things are looking great like not focus too much on wins and losses this year but the wins feel good like wins are still fun you still want to win basketball games um so so hopefully they can get one of these two um you know add that third conference win and, and really sort of you know solidify themselves as a team that that can you know, cause some issues when they play Pitt and, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Clemson, all, you know, those sort of mid to high tier ACC down. Yeah, th- th- those teams down there. Like, look, <laughs> Notre Dame plays at Cameron on February 7th. Like, I don't, I'll be, I'll be pleasantly surprised if that game's competitive, but that's not like, that's not what I'm looking at for, for, for ACC play the rest of the way. It's like, you know, pick off a couple of these. And then win one, you know, win uh, like Clemson on March second. Like Clemson's a good team, mm-hmm. but that's a home game that the team should be developed by then. Like that, that's one that I would be eyeing as like, you know, a big win to to send us into the off season. So, but it starts this week against Miami and BC. I think having just played BC, especially, um, you know, that's one that that would that would feel pretty good to win. Yep, um, peeling back the onion on BC's uh, week ahead too. They they host North Carolina. Uh, tomorrow on the 20th and they go to Virginia Tech midweek before they go to Notre Dame on the 27th three days later so um, some some pretty favorable um, schedules of opponents coming into South Bend uh, this week and hopefully the Irish can uh, steal a job this time next year yeah yeah and you know I think obviously the biggest thing just keep the positive play going I think one of the most encouraging websites that I find myself going back to is if you go to barttorvik.com and his sort of advanced stats um you know, you go to Notre Dame's team page and you just is a stat called game score, which is just basically a metric of how well a team plays in a given game. Um, you know, for reference, Notre Dame game score of 99 against Virginia and three versus the Citadel. Um, you know, real <laughs> in conclusion, Notre Dame is a land of contrasts. Um, but, uh, but, but the arrow is like very clearly pointing up. Like there's a sort of um, regression fit there that is very clearly pointing up. The last, uh, you know, the last, other than Florida State, for the last, I guess, five of the last six, if you include Virginia, um, 
were some of the high, Notre Dame's highest game scores of the year. So um, you know, ho- hopefully that continues and uh, and we see the positive trend there. And you know, hopefully it results in a win. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, everybody. Um, uh, all right. Well, we like, will uh, subscribe and. Uh... We'll, we'll probably catch everybody, what, after, uh, maybe Sunday night again we record after these two games? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, that sounds like a good plan for now. And uh, I don't know. We'll see We'll see how the Lions are doing if that has to impact our schedule again, I guess. <laughs> Fair point. All right. But thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, and we will talk to you then. Go Irish.